You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corr along with Bishop and Pastor C.L. Mitchell. Happy Friday to everyone out there. It is a glorious day here in uh, the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. We are in studio. Excited to be here and uh, glad it's Friday, of course. I uh, hope you had a good week, Professor, Bishop, Reverend. <laughs> John, I had, a, I had a good week. It was a busy week. Like Very yours, busy. But, uh, yes. A good week. Yes. Yeah. Good week. I hope our listeners had a good week. Yes. I mean, it's... It's the end of the week, hopefully, for most people, and they're maybe they're driving home, maybe they're at home, preparing for the weekend. Uh, I hope and trust that you will have uh, a, a nice day of rest or period of time of rest this weekend, hopefully. of Maybe not, because you have to preach on Sunday. So <laughs> it's, it's like having a major um, researched term paper due every week. Yes, you have to think, actually, like every week. You have to put thoughts together. Yes. So that's good. Well, yes. we'll, we'll pray that uh, it goes well. Uh, if you are listening, uh, this is Living Truth, uh, and this is a program that uh, really involves uh, two friends coming together to discuss the Word of God, and we are excited that you are listening with us. Uh, really, the format of our, of our show is, is a conversation through Scripture uh, as we uh, dive into uh, a particular passage or book as we are uh, now have been uh, in the book of Ruth. Uh, the Lord opens things up as we discuss and uh, and uh, hopefully blesses it, and hopefully you are blessed out there. If you are listening and are blessed by it, uh, please like us on our Facebook page, which is Living Truth Radio Broadcast, and uh, you can put a comment or a like um, on there. Let us know that you're listening and, and appreciate the program. And uh, we are actually, uh, we're more than halfway done with this book. This yes, little, we are. This little four-chapter book is, is rich, and uh, um, eventually all things have to come to an end. But we're not at the end yet. We're still in chapter three, and we are discussing, really, uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi uh, and Boaz, the three main characters in this, in this book. And we have uh, really looked at uh, key themes and key uh, verses of this book, namely about hesed, uh, loving kindness and faithfulness and loyalty and things like that. And in chapter three is where we left off. Ruth found herself at the field of Boaz. Uh, She is blessed beyond belief by Boaz, who asks about her and recognizes that she is an excellent woman. And she comes home with her, her, her tummy full and her arms full of food and, and grain and, of course, lets her mother-in-law, Naomi, know where she's been. And Naomi knows this Boaz for, because he is a relative of theirs. And given the fact that they are widowed and without husbands, and in that day that was a very difficult situation, and also without children, they were uh, destitute and dependent on... Um, on each other, so to speak, and on God. And Naomi sets up a plan for, for Ruth to meet Boaz because now there's a, there's a shift in gears in the story. Boaz is going to be the, sort of the hero of the story in one sense, 
uh, as well as Ruth is. And she plan ha, sets up a plan for, for Ruth to go meet Boaz. Very challenging scene that we looked at last week. Very difficult, uh, potentially difficult circumstance uh, where she goes to uh, the threshing floor at night to where he's at and has to somehow make her presence known without having him get the wrong idea. And she takes a risk in that and not knowing how he'll respond. And of course, we looked at that last week and uh, perhaps maybe read a few verses to get our, our mind on that same, uh, same scene. Uh, in verse six of chapter three, it says, so she went down, actually, let me, let me back up. Verse one, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? And now, is not Boaz our kinsman uh, whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be that when he lies down, that you shall take notice of the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, all that you, have, you, all that you say I will do, that's Ruth speaking, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law commanded her. So she goes down um, and basically does what she says, and she's putting herself in a position to be seen in, by Boaz with the intent of having Boaz respond to her need, namely that she is widowed and she is in need of security, namely a husband. And so Boaz, uh, verse 7, when he had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went uh, to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly uncovered his feet and lay down and it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and we'll talk basically these verses to the end of the of the of the chapter we'll talk deeply and and he bent forward and behold a woman was lying at his feet and he said who are you and she answered I am Ruth your maid so spread your covering over your maid for you are a close relative then he said may you be blessed of the Lord my daughter you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. And now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. Redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now that's the end of the scene. Let's talk about that. What's going on? <laughs> well, <clears throat> on last week, uh, we covered uh, in the text the eight things that could almost in modernity appear to be sultry 
but they yes. are really um, culturally acceptable things that are risque somewhat, but certainly not um, an abrogation of character. Um, they are the wisdom of Naomi uh, given to Ruth in order to acquire security for her. Right. And so we went through the eight things, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor. Uh, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Notice the place where he lies. Uh, go and uncover his feet and lie down. And we agreed last week that this really is going to be a set of circumstances that's going to unfold the sovereignty of God. But it's also going to reveal the character right. of Boaz. Right. I think it's also important to say, John, that um, this book is a crescendo. It's it's steadily moving up to a climactic scene. Right. And what we're going to see, as you stated earlier in the book, is something that's surprising. This is, again, not a novel. It's not a novella. It's not a love story as we think of it. And it's really going to be um, two heroes, both Ruth and Boaz. And what we're going to see from here on out is Boaz is going to take uh, the premier position in the book. I like the fact that you we reminded ourselves just now that, that the scene from last week, the scene at night, is really, in one sense, a revelation of their true character. Because thus far in the story, um, the, their character has been revealed in different ways. Uh, Ruth's character has been revealed in her sacrifice and, and coming back with Naomi, uh, leaving her, her, her home uh, land of Moab, and coming and, and dedicating herself to Naomi. You know, where you go, I will go, right? Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So we see that, and she goes out and gleans, prepare gets food for for Naomi she's thinking you know she, that's her character but and, and and Boaz on the other side is is similar of how he treats his his workers in the field and we saw this but but now you have at this nighttime scene there's nobody else around correct you have you have sort of a revelation of their character in the darkest of moments in the in the in in situations that could go very very south very fast and both characters, and you have you have Ruth, who is going to do what her mother-in-law says, all that you say, I will do, right? And she goes and does that. Now, that's there's a risky thing because she has no idea how is Boaz going to respond to my my presence there. And at the same time, here's Boaz waking up, and there's a woman. He doesn't know first of all who she is, and when she when so there's there's a chance that he could just throw her out and say you know who are you what are you trying to do so there's a test i think in both characters so in in this point there's a revelation of wow these two people have tremendous character and god is the one who's somehow orchestrating this whole thing and it's and is he's got you know even though God's name or God himself is sort of behind the scenes it's not up in front like you would think he is, you can tell he's, re, he's directing the right people in the right time, the right places, in the right situation. And this is all coming, and it's unfolding, it's coming to a crescendo, as you just said. This is very similar uh, to the book of Esther in that way, right. thematically. Whilst you see the name of I Am mentioned in Does this Does anybody book. say whilst anymore? <laughs> okay. Seeing the name of God <laughs> mentioned in this book, uh, while you do not see that necessarily overtly in the book of Esther, 
in both books, what you see as the front runner, uh, uh, the front runners of the literature are the characters, as it were. And there is a hermeneutic, fanciful term for saying a biblical interpretive um, a point, a theological point, if you will, that the author is trying to make uh, by presenting this book in that way. And, and his goal, the author's goal, is to see the characters in their circumstances that are very real, um, that are unmanipulated, as it were, and yet see, as one particular uh, author says, God with his hands and the invisible gloves of circumstances at work behind the scenes so as to bring the circumstances to their sovereign point. Isn't this the way that real life is lived out anyway? I mean, most of us, you know, when I read Scripture— you know, and I'm praying, I'm hoping for voices coming out of heaven, you know, John, you know, <laughs> you're, you're my son or something like that. But, and, and, and visions of God, you know, every Tuesday morning or something like that. But it seems like Ruth, and also, as you mentioned, Esther, seems to be more in line with the way we, most of, ex, most of us experience life on a daily basis, not really knowing where God is, not knowing, really knowing what he's doing, but somehow trusting that he is he is moving and and I got to get the sense that when when Ruth comes back from the field of Boaz the the first time and she announces to Naomi where she has been and she purposely the the text in the Hebrew purposely leaves his name till the very last right and the name of the man's field I went to was Boaz as soon as she says that I got to think that Naomi Naomi's the wheels start turning in her head and she starts recognizing. I wonder what God is doing, and 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 I'm I'm speculating, but I wonder because then the very next scene, which is now after this, is now her plan, you know, or before this is is her plan. But my point is, life is normally lived out with God behind the scenes, with God working through people and circumstances, and oftentimes not in the way that we expect, you know, oftentimes not in the timing we expect. We you know, we go to a drive-through and we we want our food within a matter of minutes. Well, here's God working, and oftentimes he, the better, the better work of God often takes time. It often takes uh, people and, and circumstances that he has to arrange in the right way for it to be, I guess, better quality, I guess. Well, John, you know this to be true, that when we turn the pages of Scripture, we turn them and one page is next to the other and so forth and so on. And so it's rather easy for us to come to a fallacious theological conclusion, and that is that the characters within the framework of Scripture heard the audible voice or saw a phenomenological move of God every single day. Right. But when you're looking at the text and you are aware of the chronology, the sequence, as it were, uh, of of the pages of Scripture, uh, what takes us moments to turn through often spanned years in right. the actual character's experience. Right. Moreover, I think this is important because there are certain uh, modern theological persuasions that will purport that, in fact, uh, it is odd, it is abnormal not to, in fact, see some fantastic sign from God each and every day. And, and here's my statement. I want to be very careful about this statement. Um, I, I do not want to deny, undermine, nor abrogate the miraculous hand of God. But I do want to say this as a common denominator in Indeed, a, a more preferred theological post and position and way of God than even what we see in the work of God. And that is this. 
God will never work with a believer, either historically, presently, or in the future, that is, until heaven, that does not necessitate or demand faith. Right. Restated in a different way, right. God will never work with a believer in a way that does not require that believer to walk with him by faith. So in one sense, and, and I'm thinking of the words of Christ, he says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Yes. It's, a, it's maybe to our advantage in one sense that if we, if we were to see God every single day, you know, this side of heaven we're talking about, the faith would be unnecessary, but there's something, there's a component to, there's a necessary vital, vital component or characteristic of faith that, that we need to have. Well, it builds our own character as right. well. If we saw God immediately, um, um, then, then what is the development for our own character, for, right. for our own trust in God, our hope in God, our patience? Right. So there are many nutrients that we receive from trials and from waiting. Right, and that's the thing you think of. You think of the children of Israel when they're wandering in the wilderness, when God's providing manna for them every single day, and they're having to trust that manna that was there yesterday will will be there tomorrow. Well, and for X amount of forty years or so, He provides that. It's the same thing with 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 the Christian life, that that life of faith that is walked out daily and seeing God's faithfulness walked out daily. It forces us. It, it grows. It hopefully grows our character to know that this same God, who did this, who 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 did this. That's not even a word. <laughs> I'm making up words. <laughs> who performed this yesterday? Who provided this yesterday? Can also do the same thing today, when I need it, at the moment I need it, right? Such that that gives more glory to God by living out that faith. So here we have in the Book of Ruth. You have in a time period where there isn't a whole lot of faith, it's really dark, the you know, period of the judges and everything else, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. You have now faithful people, Boaz and Ruth, who are trusting in God, unseen to their eyes, yet trusting that God will somehow take care of that. Here's Ruth, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people, right? And here's here's Boaz. Bless you. Bless you, you know. May you be blessed. May the Lord bless you. Entrusting themselves to a God who somehow works out the difficulties of life, the circumstances of life, for his own glory. Well, the doctrine of the omnipresence of God, in other words, God is everywhere in all areas, both spatial and non-spatial. God is ontologically existent. He is being. In the words of St. Augustine, he is the unmoved mover, yes. right? So God is. Um and, and, and so in, in the concept of that doctrine, God is everywhere, even where there is nowhere God is. Right. And a great deal more could be said to extrapolate that. But the doctrine goes further in that, than that, because what is the practicality of that in my interaction with deity? The practicality is that that is a truth. Now, I have to hold on to that truth right. when I do not see any visible evidence of the presence of God. Right. So I have to, when I do not see the face of God, when I do not see the discernible activity of God, I have to, by trust, know that God is present, that he is, um, I am Shema, Yehovah Shema, right. the Lord is 
there. Right. And God, according to the book of Job, will often hide himself behind the shadows, as it were. He says, I looked to the left, to the right. Uh, I looked up, I looked down, I could not find him. That doesn't mean that God was absent in the case of Job and his experiences. But what it means is God had hidden himself from this prominent believer of 2200 BCE as he oft hides himself from other believers because what he does is he will never walk with us in a way that abrogates the necessity of our growth, the necessity of our maturation, the necessity of our trust. And in fact, when he is not walking visibly with us, he walks nonetheless by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament paradigm in the believer by the person, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have to trust that he will ultimately and finally work in such a way where in non-manipulated circumstances, we will have seen the glory of God, even if we were not necessarily aware of his workings at the time. Right. And I think you said, and I, I know we'll get into the book of Ruth here in a second, but this is all background and very good um because you just said in non-manipulative situations which i think is key because oftentimes when god doesn't do what we want him to do when we want him to do it is because we want to control god to do what we want him to do so we start we start planting false evidence and we right <laughs> and we start making up god on the scene right? right we start giving credulity or 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 false bibliographic references right we say that was god and then of course later on down the road when it's proven to not be god then we're embarrassed right and we either lie about it or we try to explain it as as um uh, something that it was not and what i'm suggesting is we need not plant false evidence of deity on the scene. Listen, the truth is, he's there even when it's a moment of tragedy. Right. He's there when it's a moment of disappointment. Right. He's there when it's a moment of discombobulation or confusion. God is there, and we don't have to try to explain, well, if God was there, then why did he allow this to happen or that to happen or not this versus the other? The truth of the matter is, when all of the evidence is come to its consummate conclusion, it will be seen to have been God there all along. Right. And, and everything he allows us to go through is something that he, he can turn to good, though it may not feel good at the same at, at the time we're going through. It's something that is, that is usable by God. Everything that we experience, you know, it's at, the, at the end of the day, can we trust God given this circumstance can we how far does that how far can we push that envelope so to speak as far as can i trust god in this circumstance okay or can i trust him in a more difficult circumstance well guess what before we even got to that more difficult circumstance god was already there well well, john i love your statement because i i want to progress that statement a bit and say this um oft we are looking for god again um, as I stated early, in, earlier, in the phenomenological, right? In a right. phenomenon. Right. Okay. But, but oft God is seen in our godliness in the moment. Right. Right? He's seen in the display of our character. Right. And in our ability or capacity by the Spirit's empowerment to hold up under the pressure of the moment, displaying his character, thereby bringing him glory even when... Others do not clearly see him. We are evidencing him by our display of his character. And this is going to tie into nicely, I think, into Ruth is, is there dis, there's a distinction when faithful, when 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 the faithful, when when believers who have this character of trusting God, right? There is a sense in which that aspect, that characteristic, 
of living for the distant future as opposed to the immediate present. In other words, some sometimes life can be such that we 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 only think of the immediate happenings now, right? Yes. And people of of godly character live with a more distant perspective, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yes. So so for example, I'm thinking in in the New Testament, here's here's John the Baptist who's been told to to proclaim the the coming of the Messiah, right? And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away us in the world, right? Well, he is prepared to 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 usher in that time of the Messiah ruling, so to speak. He gets arrested and of course or he gets he gets discouraged, so to speak, and asks Jesus, are you the right one? Right? He sends his his his, uh, his messengers to, to Jesus and say, Are or are you the one to be, that we're expecting or should we expect another, right? Because the immediate things that are happening, you know, aren't maybe to his to his understanding. And Jesus says, "What? Tell them what's what's going on. The the the, the lame walk, the blind see, right? Right. So Jesus, in one sense, says, "Yes, I am the one who's doing this, right? I am I am the the coming one, but I am not doing what you expected me to do. There's a there's a there's a a, a, a more eternal perspective, so to speak, uh, a, a more." Uh, a longer range vision that you need to have of what's going on. This isn't just ushering a kingdom. Like there's, there's a, there's a whole, there's, there's something that's more significant than you, that you can imagine. My point is, is that oftentimes those who are feet, we're often tested with that. God, are you, when are you going to move? When are you going to answer this prayer? You know, and, and, and you live with this and you, and you and you undergo the, 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 the test of life. And sometimes you, you pause and say, God, okay, I've been faithful, but when is this going to happen? And God says, I'm still working. Well, what we have to remember to, to review what you said in different language, John, is this. In English or? Are you going to start speaking in tongues with me? Or? <laughs> we'll have to get an interpreter in here, okay? That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what we have to remember is keeping the moment and keeping the future in perspective my faithfulness in this second is an investment of faithfulness into the next 60 seconds or the next minute. Right. My investment of faithfulness or fidelity in that minute is an investment into the hour. Right. My investment in that hour is an investment into the day. My investment in a day is an investment into that week, to that month, to that year, into what we call peripatos, my walk, right. or, or halachim, my walk or walk, my lifestyle. Yes. So I have That's to remember. Hebrew. Yes, yes. Well, the first was Greek, Peripatos, and, and the second is Halak. Greek. Right. I mean, the second is uh, uh, Hebrew. Hebrew. Here's, my, here's the point of, of, of the statement. The point of the statement is, when I can't clearly see God, it does not relieve me of the responsibility, indeed the culpability, to be godly. Because in that moment, as I look back, I will have seen God through a display of godliness— What's more, I will see that through a display of godliness that God sovereignly, distinct from his display in and through me, was all the time at work. And overall, as I look at that, then I will realize that godliness over time in a moment is godly investment over a lifetime. And when we look back over that lifetime, what we will see is, Lord, I felt like 
I was just walking um, under the doldrums of life, trying to eke out by the Spirit, moment-to-moment -moment faithfulness. But as I look back on it from a, uh, a, a better perspective, right? right. From an, a Holy Spirit-illumined perspective, I see that you were taking this moment in Ruth's life, that moment in Boaz's faithfulness, that moment in Naomi's integrity to summatively, conglomerately be mixed together, or as we were saying in the book of Esther, to result in ultimately and finally the glory of God. Right. And we have to and we have to realize that because for a believer, um, again, we, we haven't been called to walk a life of fireworks. Right. Right. Uh, we haven't been called to walk a life of of what appears to everyone else to always be uh, um, uh, in the in the fantastic. Yeah. To always be in the spotlight, to be on all the time. That's not that's not the way that's not that's. Listen, if you want to if you want to run long distance, you got to put in the miles and you got to you got to put in the time. And endurance builds up over a, there's endurance that gets built up very slowly and gradually you know if you're not a runner and you want to run a marathon tomorrow well good luck you know <laughs> well, well here's the reality John. one of the reasons why we celebrate the fourth of july with fireworks is because of the days the weeks and the tumultuous hours in which the victory was won right for america right right and so which would be the victory to our forefathers not a day in which we are doing fireworks but it was over a series of, of, of days and nights that were dark and difficult, that's where the victory was. And often where we think the victory is, that's not where God sees the victory. That's where the fireworks go right. off. Where the victory is that God sees, it's in those moments where we think we're often losing and we think God is not there and no one is there. And so in the moment of this privacy, in this scene, yep. what we see is an extraordinary victory that's going to come to a crescendo, if you will, in the end of the book. But right now, that crescendo is being realized through the fidelity and integrity of a man and a woman in a private scene at night. Now, we're at the scene now. Yes. Ruth has appeared, has has decided to go down, verse 6, to the threshing floor, and she does all that her mother-in-law commands. And Boaz, in verse 7, he's, he's done with the day. He's, he's eaten his food. He's, he's drunk his drink, and he's married. He's, he's going to lie down to settle down for a nice, relaxing evening. And she comes in, of course, uh, and says, it says, and she secretly came in and uncovered his feet and lay down just as she, she was instructed she's going to do that now as i was thinking about this the the courage it took for her to do this yes okay this is this is a this is a will she go along with her mother-in-law's advice now, a lot of people don't like to take advice from <laughs> from, <laughs> from their parents or their in-laws or or the, the the people who are wise but there's it's 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 actually a good thing sometimes. But she takes this risk in going down there to a place that she could be vulnerable. Extraordinarily vulnerable. Extraordinarily vulnerable. Now, she does this, and she, she, she uncovers his feet, and, and, of course, he wakes up. Something startles him. Yes, we discussed last week that that would have been a cloak of some sort over the lower extremities of the body. Right. And this does not suggest that he was unclothed, but what this does suggest is she uncovered him, and there is symbolism that um, is represented within the idiomatic phraseology that is of a pure nature um, uh, that would more so 
argue for marriageability and a request for marriage right. than something that is sultry or questionable. Right. And she's and she uh, well she does and she and he he wakes up and he says who are you know, who are you now maybe he's he's this he's it's nighttime in fact it says. Uh, in the verse, it says it happened in mi- in the middle of the night, which is a interesting phrase that that um, in 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 the Hebrew uh, that refers to uh, oftentimes encounters with the presence of God, or you know certain key things happen in the middle of the night, and so he's not really knowing what's going on at this moment. He's startled, you know. He it, it could be an intruder, it could be whatever. And here she, he asks, who are you? He doesn't recognize who she is, um, maybe because of the darkness, maybe because she's cleaned up and smells nice and pretty, uh, or, or whatever. But, um, but Ruth, seems to take, Ruth seems to take charge here. She, he, she comes to—something, I think, switches in her, because she says, I am Ruth, your maid, so now spread your covering over your maid for your close relative. You, there's, a, there's a directness in her speech. She's kind of now forward. She's she's been very passive up to this point. Now she's sort of taking charge. It seems like of hey, I'm Ruth. By the way, spread your your covering over me for your close relative. And you, you know what's interesting to me, John, is when she says this. When when he's startled, right, by the term "vayomer miat," like right. who who are you? Who are you? Um, it's a very direct question, and. When she says, um, Anohi Ruth, I am Ruth, I am, right? Yes. But, but then she says this. When she says, I am Ruth, your maidservant, right. this term is distinct within the framework of the Hebrew text because literally she presents herself now as marriageable. Right. She changes the description of, 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 of herself from, a, from a, a servant that's not marriageable to now when that's marriageable age or marriageable approachability, so to speak. Yes, so she's she's basically saying, I'm available. Now, again, we must not take modernity and make an imposition onto this particular text, this ancient Near Eastern text. We must not do that, and we must not say, well, she's trying to be a forward woman. Now, she is a strong woman. We'll see that within the term eshet chayil later on, because um, um, uh, chayil is a term that is used for um, an individual of strength, a, right. a, a warrior. Right. Uh, she probably has a strong personality, as it were. But what we're seeing here within the framework of this text is um, a lady who's saying, I am marriageable. Now, this also would spring back to the fact that she has changed her clothes. Right. No longer in mourning clothes, but now she is in clothes that would suggest my time of mourning is over. Right. And there is a level of interest. Now, it's, and, it's, and we haven't gotten to this part yet, but there's there's sort of like a blend between the the idea of a redeemer or the goel right the kinsman redeemer who had a role of well five different things actually of of redeeming a property that a, a, a family member lost or somebody if you were a family member and you had uh, to pay a debt and you went to slavery you sold yourself as a slave to pay that the redeemer would buy you back and and did various things so that's there's one aspect there that of redeemer but then you have another aspect of marriage the redemption thing didn't uh, in, in the scripture doesn't specify a marriaging of it didn't require a marriage of of Ruth to Boaz or Boaz to Ruth rather he he could have just redeemed her by buying the land but now she's proposing this marriage aspect as part of the equation which perhaps maybe confuses or brings up the levirate marriage where if a brother dies and there's no children the next brother in line 
marries the, the, the widow and so on and so forth, right? So there seems to be a blend of those two that is interesting. Naomi's intent for Ruth is to find security, a husband, right? But now she, she, um, she, she pr- proposes that uh, when she says, spread your, your wing, your, your covering over your mate for your close relative. She's kind of, there's a blend of those two. And, and I know we're not quite there in the book, but it's interesting that, 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 that the two are being covered. Well, well, to be sure, I, I think you're absolutely right that there is there is a shall we say an ambiguity. Right. I think that would be a perfect word yes. because the term leveret, which you used before, yes, um, springs from a Latin term lever. Right. And it is this Latin term literally means um, a brother-in-law, right. as it were. And the Deuteronomic law um, connected to this particular ideology that is presented and this custom within scripture was directly connected to or correlated to the brother-in-law. Um, this is one of the reasons why when you're in the book of Genesis, right? And um, when um, Onan is killed because right. he refuses to raise up seed or posterity to his brother. Right. Um, this is a very important thing in the ancient Near East because the allotment of land, the continuity of family, the continuity of name right. has implications implications in the framework of the society of Israel. What's more, within the framework of the ancient Near Eastern society. We're going to mention more about that a little bit later, but I think what you are arguing, John, is so important, and that is that this is not necessarily Torah-specific. Right. So so he is not, she is not, first of all, being fastly Deuteronomistic, nor is Boaz being fastly Deuteronomistic. But there is an ambiguity, not, not an inordinate Im- ambiguity, not an ambiguity that would abrogate or undermine or disobey um, Torah specificity, but this is not to the letter of the law. But what you're going to see about Boaz, which I really think is noble, is he's going to, where the letter of the law does not speak, he's going to honor the spirit of the law. You know, it's funny as I think about this, some commentators sort of, um, I don't want to say accuse Naomi of not telling the full truth, because she refers to Boaz as a very close relative, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, And sends Ruth the direction of Boaz but at the same time knows that there's one that's closer. You know, the commentators will say, well, certainly um, Naomi would have known that there's a closer relative that could have done this, right? I get the sense, though, that that Naomi knew the character of Boaz and knows the character of this closer redeemer and knows that this character is not going to redeem Ruth, given the circumstances. I um, This is my own impression. Is that the character, the characteristic, or his the character of uh, the noble character of, of Boaz, sort of raises the flag and says, "Hey, this is the better choice for you, and there's more likelihood that that you're going to get um, Boaz as your husband, as opposed to this other character that we haven't met yet." But I just get that sense that 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 Naomi knows if I if I send her to this other person, that's not going to happen. But Boaz is now here. Well, we know well, his character. Well, I think, John, that it's not just conjecture on your part. I think that it actually is in keeping with the 
pretext, that is the section before that that we've gone to, and the post-text, that is the section that is up and coming. Right. And because um, this individual who's this closer relative is not even going to be named. Literally, in yeah. the Hebrew, he's going to receive this this uh, classification, Poloni Almoni. Now, that's a very literal um, transliteration for, for the Hebrew text. Right. Um, and, and we'll go into that. Right. So I'll kind of leave that steeped in mystery what, what, right now. Yeah. But, but um, um, literally... Um, uh, this terminology is going to be questionable uh, once we get to that section. But earlier, he is from the author's hand in the book to Boaz, the same kind of um, uh, um, the foil, foil, foil that that Orpah right. is to Ruth. Right. So they are presented as negative characters somewhat. Nothing negative is said about them directly. Which, which uh, I cut you off there. No, no, go right ahead. I was saying, which. With, with with these characters as foils, which means they're they're actually reflect they're actually making Ruth and Boaz look even better, as as compared to these other characters. And Pony Baloney is or Mister So and So. Hey, you whatever Miss you know Mister you know Joe Blow, right? Yes, that's how we would say in our our in our vernacular, right? We don't know who, we don't care who he is. We don't remember his name. We don't know who Joe Blow is. He's he's not important, but compared comparative to Joe Blow, Boaz stands a whole lot better. You, there's there's this uh, there's you, you you want to go for Joe Blow? Well, he's 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 uh, he's not going to compare to, to his Boaz. And the same thing with with Ruth compared to her sister-in-law Orpah. I actually also think that comparison is alive and well, but also something that you're seeing within the narrative is this: that within the culture of the day. Um, these were clansmen. They lived in a very tight-knit community. So, so what we're not thinking is we're not thinking what Tempe is to Scottsdale or what, or what the West Valley is to the East Valley. We're not thinking that distance. Right. So they would have been known, and they would have been known according to their characteristics or disposition. So I think that Naomi is actually working in lieu of his reputation, Poloni Almonis, later on, right. as well as Boaz's reputation, their characteristics. And I also think that sovereignty is at work, and so, she's working with God at this stage. So let's, let's fast forward this couple thousand years to today. You have—it ought to be—I know you're looking at me at the strange <laughs> Where is he going with this? I'm reflecting on the on the fact that it ought to be for the believer that the comparison of our character compared mm-hmm. to the people of the world yes. ought to stand out so vastly and so significantly that there's no comparison. That there's hey, there's that there's that Christian guy at, at, at my work, or here's this Christian woman who who I, who I know. Wow, they there's 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 something that's so different about them of their character. That in comparison to other people around, there is no, there is no, there's something beautiful about that. If you are so aloof or or distant from the world that we can't find you in the world, right? Then it's not Christian, right? But if you are so lost in the world that we cannot detect you in the world, right? It's not Christian, right? So the Christians' um, um, uh, struggle is to be balanced in such a way that he or she is, in the words of Christ, in the world, right. but not of the world. Right, and he calls us he calls us salt. He calls us light, right? Yes. So if we are in the world, we are not going to try to be light. We are, you know, if we're a, a believer, we are light. There's something that, they, that, the, that the, the unsaved, the world, can see. Now, some will will be um, attracted to that. Okay, you're, you're a believer at work. 
and you have unbelievers that work with you, and they see something different about you, some will be attracted to that. They'll, they'll say, you know, before you came here or before I, I got to know you, I didn't think about God, or I, 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 wasn't a, I wasn't into God, or I was into other religions, but now I'm actually starting to read a Bible, or I'm interested in what you have to, you have to say. Some will, will be attracted to that. Others will, will want to run away. They'll be the orpah, so to speak, and say, well, I'm going to go off and, uh, and, and, and avoid you. But it ought to be for the believer that, that this character of Ruth and Boaz ought to transcend to today in the life of, you know, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? We have, we have the presence of God in our very lives. There ought to be something where there's, like, there's a distinct difference of, of as, as a Christian, as a businessman, a businesswoman, or, or whatever you're doing in life that stands out, that, that, that people the world and people around say, you know, they're different. They, they do things Indeed. different. They are honorable. They're of noble character. That gives glory to God as well. Well, you know, I- even within the, I mean, we, we take this microcosmic look within the framework of the book, right. but if we were to do a, a structural um, uh, um, observation, they not only stand out against Poloni Almoni and uh, Orpa, the foils within the book, within the narrative, but they also stand out within the framework of of their association and affiliation to other believers, right? right? Because the book of Ruth is really happening during the period of the mishpotim, of the judges. Right. And so even amongst believers, there are believers who take their walk with God very soberly, very seriously, right. and they will stand out differently to compromising believers. And I think right now what we're seeing within the framework of society is we're seeing a wave of judges, right? We're, right. we're, we're seeing a wave of people who are willing to fit in to such a degree that compromise has become Christianized. Right. To such a degree, then, that we are assimilating the world's behavior, the world's practices, even the world's convictions. Um, and we are doing exactly what uh, Babylon asked of the Old Testament believers and exactly what Rome asked of New Testament believers. And right. the question is, um, is there anyone who is willing to stand with the lonely, the lonely Savior? See, you see, this brings into the point now, as, as the people of God— presently in the church and the people of God in the context of Ruth and the Old Testament, the, the commandments of God to his people to be different, right? To be distinct in the, the food they ate, the food they didn't eat, in the days they worked, the day they didn't work, in the clothes they wore, the type of, even the fabric, that the, everything was distinct. Why? So that the, the point being, when people saw you, you know, they, they're, 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 they belong, they're Israelite, they're, they belong to God. They, and that was on the, on, the, on the sort of on the outside scale, you know, of how they dressed and how they behaved, but also that they're, to, to sort of demonstrate that their God was different, their, their God's ways were different, their God's law was different. That was all to broadcast now um, to, the, to the rest of the world. Well, 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 let me just say something, John, because, because it's, it's evident that we're, I mean, we've, we're not going to get to the rest of the book, I mean, to, to the section, <laughs> right, because we're having a, a very important theological discussion based up on character disposition, right? And so I think this is an essential discussion because, and let me just modernize this again, and I mean no disrespect to anyone's political position or anything of the sort, but some time ago when President Barack Obama was making a rather important decision about um, um, same-sex persuasion and 
seeking to um, speak to the biblical text, he used a framework of the text within the uh, within Leviticus, and he said, "Well, th- the Bible says." that uh, the, the ancient um, Israelis were not to wear uh, two types of cloth mixed, nor right. were they to sow two types of seed right. in a field. And he said, what, which part of the Bible shall we acknowledge? Shall we acknowledge that part of the Bible? And here is the answer in connection or in conjunction with this particular thing. Um, yes, we are to acknowledge that. Now, we are not to be under uh, the, the, uh, the um, um, adherence to that in modernity in the same way, but we are to acknowledge that. And you just mentioned why. Because in the ancient Near Eastern um, uh, text before the Common Era, what was the reason for that? Well, it was not that having two types of cloth was inherently wrong. It was not that having two types of seed in the field was inherently wrong. But it was that their clothing, their field, was a play, as it were, was a demonstration, right. a manifestation of their spiritual disposition before I am right. and their spiritual distinction from Egypt and from Canaan, from the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, etc. And so God wanted them to wear in their person and demonstrate in their presentation what was to be a reminder for that society of their represented distinctiveness from those that they came from in Egypt and those that they were going to in Canaan. Right, and, and the idea of, of being distinctive, communicating that, mixing two different cloths, like you just said, or mixing two different seeds in and of itself is nothing. I, 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 you know, you and I wear clothing that's you know, either 100% cotton or it's half this, half that, right? But it's almost as if to say you cannot mix the God of Israel with the uh, God of Egypt. Correct. You cannot mix the, 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 the thoughts of the world with the thoughts of Christ. And this is where we must be careful, John, because a, a president is not a theologian. Would that he were. <laughs> but, but, but we ought, with specificity, speak intelligently to our field and not try to spill over into other waters because we may found our, find ourselves politically insightful, but theologically drowned. Let me read to you a verse from, from the book of Ephesians in, in chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So the idea of being as Christians, as light, there ought to be not a mixture of light and darkness together. There's... So the message is the same, but the means is different. Right, right. Nowadays, we, we wear different clothing, but how are, we, how are we different than the rest of the world? Well, in the way we behave, obviously, in the way we love, the way we approach uh, um, you know, all kinds of issues as well, but just in, in the character that you know, we're being formed in the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit, there ought to be a, a distinct difference where, where they say there is Christian so-and-so, not Mr. So-and-so, right? Indeed. And, and within to, to, to highlight that within the framework of this text, because this questionable scene, this vulnerable scene takes place at night. Right. And the question is, are they going to be light bearers in the night scenes of life? Isn't it, it's when is, when is light most seen? But in darkness, right? I mean, I know as, as a Christian, 
there's there's a tendency to want to want to really gather around other Christians and and just stay there and huddle together, and but that doesn't really help the world out when God says, you know, you're you're light. You know, in the midst of the darkness, there's you know when when you're surrounded when there's darkness all around when when everyone is not doesn't know the Lord and you're the one sole Christian, you're going to stand out because there's such a distinction difference and such a contrast that God that 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 has to be. Whereas in 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 this scene here. That that light of that, the the characteristic of, of of godliness, is is bright in the scene. Well, the truth of the matter is, John, uh, to to again uh, further your statement, if your light is undone by darkness, one does not question the darkness. The darkness is intended to be dark. Right. One questions the validity of your light. Right. And if it is indeed the light of Christ, one ought be able to interact in a world. One ought to be able to interact in the dark scenes of life and maintain their light or integrity. And I know before we finish, I was I just was thinking that oftentimes as Christians, we don't realize the the the, the light of Christ that is in our lives and we think, "Wow, I have to be like the world in order to reach them. I have to go down to their level. I have to I have to change who I am." And God says, "No." You 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 are you are you are you are what the world needs. You know, like um, um, if you if you are if you are a believer, God is going to use that in people in your life that you don't realize, and they need that. People who live in darkness, they need an example. They need somebody to to look and say, "What is this Jesus like? I've never met him before. What 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 what's 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 God like? I don't know what He's like, but I do know that there's something different about you." There's something different than of how you treat people and how you love people. I want to know this God. You know, John, I, I am very concerned with our our conviction in today's time, because in this particular scene with with Boaz and Ruth, the question is, will they be able to uphold their integrity? Will they be able to uphold? Um, their, their, their Torah observance in the midst of this scene where no one else is around. And what we're going to see next week is, is the text uses a term amar, right. and, and the term amar is not seeking to speak to what he says as much as it is seeking to speak to what he says within himself, right. his thoughts. Right. And he's going to privately reveal in his mind something that is in similitude to what Joseph does, namely trying to uphold the integrity of Mary. So I think the summation of this week's broadcast is this. Who are you in the night seasons of life, Mm. in the night scenes of life? And may you in those night scenes show to be the light of Christ that has been vested in your life to such a degree that you can be in the world but not of the world, in order that the world might see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.